Amen. 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 You let them know how much you appreciate them leading us this morning in worship. Always blessed by them and uh, excited to start a brand new series this morning called The King is Coming, which by the way, are y'all down with the King coming? Say amen. I am and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, behind me, if you haven't already noticed on stage, this is actually going to be a redneck timeline of the end times, all right? The reason I call it redneck timeline is because everything you really see up here, we either found in a garage or a closet or at the dollar store, all right? And that's kind of how we roll. But this is kind of a big picture overview just by way of introduction to kind of wet your whistle for where we're headed throughout this entire month and most likely even into November. But if you'll kind of take a look up here, right here on the ground, it really kind of describes the events that will take place here upon the earth. All right, I'm going to talk about those in just a moment. And then above this is actually uh, pictures of events that will take place in heaven. So let me just kind of quickly give this to you so you kind of know where we are trekking. All right, first of all, if you'll notice here on the ground, there is the church age. The church age is the age in which you and I are currently living in. And inside this little bucket is actually a, a symbol that is going to represent the church age for us throughout this particular series. And every single one of these little boxes have something in it. So I'm going to be disclosing them in the days ahead. Aren't y'all impressed with this little church? Uh, this actually came from our house. So I borrowed it for a little while, Krista, uh, just letting you know. But anyway, so uh, this, this here represents really the church age. Now the church age uh, took place and began after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus died on the cross for the sin of humanity. He bore the wrath of God in his body. He was our substitute. And then the scripture says he was buried and raised again. And then when he ascended into the heavens, he made a promise that the Spirit of God would come and take up residence inside the lives of all who would believe in him. And the Spirit's coming to indwell the bodies of those who have trusted in Jesus Christ really marks the beginning of the church age. That happens in Acts chapter 2. And then it also goes all the way until our current day. So today, if somebody prays and gives their lives to Jesus, the Scripture says that the Spirit of God will take up residence in their heart and life, and they will actually become members of the New Testament church. The church, by the way, isn't a building but in fact, it is a group of people. It literally is a term that means the company of the called out ones. So every single follower of Jesus is a member of the church universal. So we are living in the church age. Now there's a promise that you and I have in the scripture of something that will occur uh, very soon, I pray. And that is the great catching up of the saints. We're going to look at that specifically this morning, but we mark it here on this redneck timeline with the trumpet, all right? This describes the rapture of the church, the rapture of New Testament saints. And I'm going to show you where we find that promise in the scripture this morning. Now, following the rapture, right? So Jesus comes for the church, the rapture occurs. The very first thing that will happen for us when we enter into glory as followers of Christ is that we will be at a judgment seat. And that's what this gavel represents, the judgment seat of Jesus. Now, just to rest your minds for a moment, if you are a follower of Jesus and you find yourself at the judgment seat, let me ensure to you that you will not be judged based upon your sin. 
And the reason is because your sin was judged on the cross at Calvary over 2,000 years ago. That would have been a good place to say amen, right? So your sin is taken care of. But you will be judged based upon your service to the Lord. Man, I cannot wait to share with you what that judgment day is going to be like. I'm going to talk about that next week. But following the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, the Bible says we will enter into what is known as the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's represented by this plate, which is being hung right now by some duct tape, which is why I'm not touching it, all right? But anyway, that plate represents the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is a phenomenal event where all followers of Jesus Christ from Acts chapter 2 until the day that it occurs will actually be at this event as the bride of Jesus. Jesus will be there. There will be invited guests there. I'm going to talk about who those guests are uh, next week, so don't miss that. But a, a phenomenal event, right? And the scriptures teach you and I that Jesus himself will actually serve us at the marriage supper of the Lamb, which blows my mind when I study this in the Scripture. But anyway, so this is all occurring upon the earth. Now, very quickly, when the rapture occurs and the church age ends upon the earth, we will see ushered in what is known as the tribulation. The tribulation period is marked by seven years according to Scripture. In fact, when you study this tribulation, you will discover that it is divided right down the dead center. Three and a half years of what is known as world peace, and then the last three and a half years of the tribulation is really when all, everything just falls apart, and the wrath of God is poured upon the earth. The tribulation is designed, by the way, so that Israel might be brought back to the Lord, and we're going to talk about that in the days ahead as well. So the tribulation period will happen here upon the earth. And then at the end of the seven-year tribulation, we will experience what is known as the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's also described as the glorious appearing of our Lord. And Jesus will come to the earth. Now here's the thing. You and I will be with Jesus in heaven as followers of Christ. So when Jesus comes back to the earth at his second coming, the scriptures teach that you and I will actually come with him. And Jesus will come to the earth, and then he will establish what is known as the millennial kingdom. That is a thousand-year literal reign of Jesus upon the earth, whereby all followers of Jesus who are members of the church will actually rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ here upon the earth. Let me just kind of uh, whet your appetite. Uh, what you are doing today in the church age is actually preparing you for what you will do in the millennial kingdom kingdom. And so if you are faithful here, you know, Jesus says, if you're faithful with a little, I will give you much. That is a reference to this millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, following the millennial reign, uh, we don't have it here on the little redneck timeline, but there'll be uh, the great white throne judgment of the Lord. And I think I'm going to do that as a standalone message, but that is the judgment of all unbelievers. And then the Lord ushers in the eternal state. All right. Now, everybody with me say yes. So do y'all like the redneck timeline? Yeah. All right. Because it's going to be up here. And if you would please come by and just assure me that this is okay, that would help my ego a little bit. You know what I'm saying? We put it together this week and I was like, am I really going to stand in front of this? And here I stand. But anyway, so uh, pretty crazy. Now, when you read the New Testament and I read the New Testament, there's something that really does stand out. And that is the New Testament writers and the early church really believed that at any moment Jesus would come. In fact, Paul the Apostle writes in Philippians chapter 3, he says, our citizenship is in heaven, and we are 
anticipating the return of a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul the Apostle says, our citizenship is in heaven. I love that, by the way. He does not argue for his citizenship here on the earth. He's saying, as soon as I came to faith in Jesus, my citizenship now is in heaven, and I'm waiting for the Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's where your citizenship is. So here upon the earth, you really are an alien. You are a foreigner. This is not your home. Uh, there is a home in heaven which the Lord has for you. All right, so Paul is always talking about Jesus coming for the church. Now, at the same time, Peter also talks about uh, in the last days, scoffers will come. And here's what Peter says. They will more or less make fun of you saying, where is Jesus, right? Why hasn't he showed up? You're always talking about it. Where is he? And uh, to be honest with you, uh, that even occurs today. Matter of fact, if you consider for just a moment, most uh, churches do not speak about uh, the rapture or the coming of Jesus. And the reason they don't do this is really because oftentimes they're a little embarrassed about it. When you think about what I'm going to share with you today, I'm going to talk with you about the rapture of the New Testament church. And it's like at any moment, we can all just swoosh out of here. And uh, even as I share it, it sounds like almost, you know, like Hollywood created this idea. Like it's just something you would see, you know, next to Transformers in the theater, right? So, so there, there's this difficulty in understanding and even talking. And sometimes we're a little embarrassed about it. But here's what I want you to know this morning. If Jesus Christ did indeed, over 2,000 years ago, die on a cross and was buried and got up from the dead, and then he ascended into the heavens, you better believe that this same Jesus is going to come again. That is the promise that we have in the Scripture. In fact, the Lord Jesus makes that promise. And uh, we're going to see that in John's Gospel, chapter 14. So you got your Bible with you, John chapter 14, this morning. Go ahead and open that up as we see Jesus making a promise uh, to the Lord. John chapter 14. Y'all want to stand with me out of God's Word this morning? John chapter 14. Let me set the stage for you just a little bit uh, so you know what's going down. Everybody eyeball to eyeball for just a second, unless you're still looking. Uh, Jesus just had the Last Supper with the disciples, and he actually told them that he was going to be betrayed, he was going to die. So he shared this with them, and at that moment, they were extremely curious about what Jesus was going to do. And so Jesus now, seeking to help them, gives them the promise that you've heard, I'm sure if you grew up in church, a million times. But I want us to get a little context on it and see what Jesus is talking about. So John chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Uh, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, uh, we don't know where you're going. How are we supposed to know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for your divine word this morning. Help us to respect uh, the scripture. Help us to submit to what the word of God says to us today and help us to live as followers, anticipating uh, this soon coming rapture of the New Testament church. And Father, we'll give you glory for it. And Lord, I also pray specifically for those who are here this morning who have not placed their trust in you. 
God, speak to their hearts, draw them to salvation, and we'll give you glory for it. And that's in Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. So you go ahead and be seated this morning. All right, so Jesus here gives us this phenomenal promise. And there are a couple of things I want you to know about the promise that will help you. And you want to jot these down in your listening guide. First of all, the promise of the Lord eases our minds. It eases our minds. Notice again in uh, John 14, verse 1, how Jesus opens up. He says, uh, and I love this, he says, listen, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Now, eyeball to eyeball for a moment. The word troubled here is a phenomenal Greek word. It actually describes being stirred up on the inside. It's the idea of being uh, agitated. It also carries with it the idea of being anxious. All right, so when he says, do not let your hearts be troubled, he's saying to the disciples, don't allow your hearts to be agitated. Don't allow your hearts to be anxious. Now, why in the world does Jesus say this to the disciples? Well, it's because they were anxious and they were agitated. But what were they agitated about? Now, here's the thing they were agitated about, and I want you to listen closely. They had this huge desire to see Jesus be the king and establish a kingdom upon the earth in that particular time. They wanted Jesus to topple Rome and to set up a kingdom and give them positions of great honor in that kingdom. In fact, it was, was such a big deal that they actually argued about it. So the disciples would sit around and they would talk about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And so one would be like, I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And then the other would be like, no, I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And then the other would be like, no, I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And then the, y'all get it, right? That was the argument that they had going on. And so when they hear Jesus now saying, look, I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to die, that didn't fit into their paradigm. It did not fit into what they had imagined for their future. And they had followed Jesus for three years looking for this kingdom to be established and looking for positions of authority in it. Now, we could ask the question, why did they believe that a kingdom was coming? Why did they believe that Jesus was going to be that king? And why did they believe that they were going to be a part of that kingdom? Well, here's the reason why. It's because in the Old Testament, which they grew up with as Jews, they began to read all of these promises of this coming kingdom. In fact, God made a promise to David, and he made that promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Listen to this uh, promise. The Bible says, God speaking, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again. Nor will they be afflicted by anyone who is wicked, even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all of your enemies. Now think about it. Did they have an enemy? Yeah, the Roman government. They couldn't stand it. So they have this promise where the Lord says, I'm going to give you rest from all of your enemies. How's he going to do it? Well, here's, here's the promise. The Lord declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. And when your days are complete, David, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up a descendant after you who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom forever. Now, what is this promise? I bought an eyeball. Here's the promise. They believe that a king would come who would actually be in the lineage of David. And that king would come and he would give rest to all of Israel's enemies. And that king would establish a kingdom. So what are the disciples looking for? 
They're looking for this anointed king, this Messiah. And you have to know they were fired up when they discovered that Jesus was indeed in the lineage of David. And they were looking forward to this kingdom, but how they would have been agitated and filled with anxiety when Jesus says, listen, I am going to die. I am going to be betrayed. In fact, they were so agitated by this that Peter got up and was like, no, no, never, right? I will fight for you, Lord, even to the death. Why was Peter so quick to draw the sword? It's because he desired a kingdom immediately upon the earth. It's amazing when you begin to look at the Old Testament, all of the promises of this kingdom that is coming. But there are so many individuals who have looked over passages of Scripture, like Isaiah chapter 53, where Isaiah prophesies of a suffering servant who would come and be wounded for our transgressions. They push that to the side, and they bring to the forefront these promises of the kingdom upon the earth. And that's what the disciples desired. So when Jesus says, no, that's not going to happen now, they were agitated. So the Lord says, listen, do not let your hearts be troubled. And then I love what he says to them next, because now he wants to actually ease their minds. He says, believe in God and believe also in me. Now take this out. What is he saying? He said, I want you to trust God. I know you don't understand how it's going to go down. Jesus says, I, I understand it's not fitting your paradigm or how you had planned it out chronologically in your mind. But what I want you to do is I just want you to trust me. And indeed, what was the entire walk with Jesus for three years all about for the disciples? It was about them learning who Jesus was, getting to know him so that they could trust him. And even in this most difficult moment in their lives, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Which, by the way, when I read this, I even think that you and I as followers of Jesus today can take great uh, encouragement from this promise of Christ. See, when we grab hold of what Jesus is promising you and I, it should also ease our minds. Especially when we think about the culture in which we live today. I mean, think about uh, just a couple of weeks ago when we had two people on television running for the president of the United States. Do y'all remember? Did anyone see this at all? And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, these are the two best in America. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. You know what I'm saying? That, that's kind of my, my prayer. And I'm thinking like, Lord, what's going on? Have you forgotten us? Right? And this is the prayer that's going on because I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, you know what? We are agitated and anxious because we don't know what's fixing to come down the line. But even so, what is it that should ease our minds as believers? It should ease our mind because we believe in God and we trust in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we have genuine trust in the Lord, that brings about a peace and an ease in our hearts that cannot be erased or eradicated by what's going on around us. And see, this is what Jesus is doing. He's saying, listen, I want you to believe in God. I want you to believe in me. And then He moves on and He gives the promise. And I absolutely love it. Because this promise not only eases our minds, but it also, jot this down, offers us great hope. It offers us great hope. Look at verse 2. The Bible says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. 
Which, by the way, if you have a KJV this morning, it says there are many mansions there. And uh, some people are like, I kind of like the mansions a little better than the dwelling places. Amen. All right, so, so let, we'll go with that. In my Father's house are many mansions. And then he says, if it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. Now, here's the thing. When Jesus says, in my Father's house, he's talking about a location. He's talking about an actual place. Matter of fact, one commentator said, this is the most beautiful picture of heaven that we have in the New Testament to call heaven God's home in my father's house. You know, when you study the New Testament, heaven is described in several different ways. It's described as a kingdom in 2 Peter. It's described as an inheritance in 1 Peter. It's described as a country and a city in the book of Hebrews. And here in this text, it is described as a home. Then notice verse 3 as well. He goes on and says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What was Jesus doing? Check it out. He was making sure that he was not leaving his disciples without any hope. He says, listen, guys, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to die. But know this, I'm going to my father's house and I'm actually building you a place. He said, I I love that because what are they arguing about in and of their own lives? They're arguing about their position in the kingdom. And the Lord's like, you're concerned about a position. I'm building you a place right up with my father. And then he says, and if if I go and do that, you better believe I'm coming back to get you so that you can be with me in heaven. And that's the promise. Now, the question is, what event uh, eschatologically, is Jesus describing here? What event, uh, when it comes to the end times, is Jesus describing in John chapter 14? And the event that I see Jesus describing in John chapter 14 is actually the rapture of the New Testament church. Jesus is talking to the disciples who will become the apostles of the church. And he's giving them this promise. And it is this promise that they grab hold of after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And they share this with all sorts of people. They tell them he's coming again. He is coming soon. That's part of their message. So whenever Jesus makes this promise and they grab hold of it, they're talking about the rapture. Now, very quickly, let me just kind of say to you, The rapture and the second coming of Jesus are two separate events. Oftentimes when a person talks about the rapture, they're talking about the second coming. Sometimes when they're talking about the second coming, they're talking really about the rapture. But they are two separate events in the scripture. So the rapture is something that happens to all followers of Jesus. And by the way, according to scripture, there is nothing that needs to occur for the rapture to happen even today. So we're not waiting on something to happen so that the rapture can take place. The rapture can happen. Matter of fact, I would like for it to happen while I'm preaching. Y'all with me on this? I mean, seriously, I would like to be making a point and maybe pointing up this way. And about that time, I just disappear. Boom, I'm gone. Here's my clothes on the ground. There's my shoes. All right? And by the way, I would hope that you would be with me. Y'all with me? But if you're not, all the notes for the sermon are right here. You can come up. You can finish it all. All right, just preach it, man. Preach it. You'll want it to be preached then. So the rapture can happen. Now, Paul the Apostle also speaks about the rapture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine for just a moment, okay, so that we can kind of set this up. Imagine that you are present during the days when Peter was preaching the gospel of Christ. So you're there, your whole family's there, and you're listening to Peter preach. And he's preaching with boldness and clarity and power. And he encourages it. He says, listen, Jesus died for your sins. You should go to hell, but Jesus died in your place. 
He was buried and raised again. And this Jesus is coming again. And you need to repent of your sin and place your trust in Christ. And so you hear that message and God, the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life. And you're like, you're right. I need to respond to it. So that's what you do. You respond and you place your faith in Christ. And so does everybody in your family. So imagine like your mom, your dad, uh, your brothers, your sisters, they all give their heart to Jesus. And then you guys all together, you live with this full anticipation, this hope that Jesus will come for the church. So this is in your life. You're living that way. But then you know, people in your family begin to get older. And then somebody in your family ends up dying before Jesus comes. What would go through your mind? I mean, what would wreck your heart? The question will be, do they miss out on being in the Father's house if they die before Jesus comes for the church? Well, that's the question. And that was the question that Paul the Apostle answered in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In fact, just listen to it because this is awesome. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that is, those who have died, so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. And notice that word hope there. And then he says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. So Paul the Apostle is saying, listen, if somebody dies who is a Christ follower before the rapture happens, be confident of this. That person is with the Lord. And you know, the Bible also says in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But then he goes on. And by the way, here's a great quote. I, I jotted this one down in my notes because I just love this one. It's been said before, quote, no Christian who has ever died has regretted it. <laughs> That's pretty slick, right? This goes, they're with the Lord. So as soon as a follower of Jesus dies, they are with the Lord. But listen to what Paul goes on and says. He says, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. That's why we got the trumpet up here. And the Bible says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. So you can see the promise there, can't you? He's saying, listen, if you're here when Jesus comes back for the church and you're a follower of Jesus, the bodies of those who have already died will be raised up, glorified, meet their soul in the air, and you in the twinkling of an eye will also be transformed in full glory, and you will for the first time have an opportunity to see face to face the Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the promise. That's what we're anticipating. That's what we are also looking forward to. I love what Carrie Breck penned when she wrote this particular poem concerning the rapture. She says, face to face with Christ my Savior. Which, which, by the way, imagine that, right? The rapture happens today. You're standing face to face with the Lord. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be when with rapture I behold him? Jesus Christ, who died for me. And what an awesome day. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that. Matter of fact, I will be down with it right now. I was just giving a little time in case it happened. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I really would be. I'd be down with it right now, man. Here's the question, though. Uh, how's it going to go down? How's he coming? Well, what we have to do is think about Acts chapter 1. All right, pay close attention because this is pretty awesome. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus has been raised from the dead. For 40 days, he walks around and shows himself to people. He's hanging out with the disciples. You know what the disciples begin to ask him? They say, Jesus, is now the time you're going to establish that kingdom? 
They're still waiting for it, aren't they? And then Jesus is like, you know, this is Levi's scripture paraphrase. Chill out about the kingdom. You don't need to know about the times of the epics. Here's what you need to know. The Spirit of God is fixing to take up residence in your life, and you're going to become my witnesses. You're going to, and what does a witness do? They share what they have seen. What have they seen? They saw Jesus die, saw him buried, saw him raised. So what are they going to witness to? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the gospel. Jesus says, I'm going to make you witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And then the scripture says in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus ascends into the clouds in heaven. And so there they are. They're hanging out, looking up into the clouds, which is what I would have been doing too, wouldn't you? But like, there he goes. And then there are some men who are standing there. And they say, uh, why are you looking up into the clouds? To which I would have said, did you not see what just happened? That's why I'm looking up. But then they make this statement. I love this. Say, in the same way that he has ascended into the clouds, he will also come again in the clouds. Listen, that's the difference between the second coming and the rapture. The second coming of Jesus Christ is when Jesus comes to the earth. The rapture is when Jesus comes in the clouds. And the whole New Testament, followers of Jesus are anticipating, living on the edge of their seat, that this could be the day. That's what they're, that's what they're looking for, anticipating it. You know, in my study, I ran across a true story about a Japanese man by the name of Isaburo. Isaburo actually found a dog uh, that was a stray dog, and he adopted the stray dog for himself. So him and the dog became great friends. I actually got a, a picture of uh, this particular dog up here uh, right behind me. And uh, this is a modern-day picture. So anyway, he's hanging out with the dog, getting to know the dog, loving the dog. Every single day, Isaburo would get up and he would go to work. But he would have to go and get on the train in Japan to go to work. So every day he would get up, and his dog, which he named Hachi, would walk with him to the train. He would get on the train, Hachi would go back home. At the end of the day, Hachi, for some reason, knew the time that his master was going to get off the train. And so he would actually go back to the train station, sit there, and wait upon his master. So every single day, you can imagine it, right? He goes there, he's hanging out, Isabella gets off the train, they're all fired up, you know, they high-five each other, I guess, as dogs and people do, and then they go back home. But then one day, Isabella at church, or at church, he's at uh, work, I'm at work. You'll get that later. He, he gets this brain hemorrhage and dies instantly in the workplace. So that day, Hachi the dog goes to the train station. He's sitting there, but his master doesn't get off the train. You know what he does? The next day he comes back. Same time, still the master doesn't get off the train. Next day he comes back. It is said that for 10 years until Hachi died, every single day he would go to the train station. And he would sit there waiting on his master to get off the train. And this is not some like wild fancy story. There are actually statues in Japan today that represent Hachi and his master. And there's one of them behind me. But there is all of this talk about the loyalty and faithfulness of this dog who was waiting for his master. But what I was amazed with is knowing that he was waiting in vain. You and I, as followers of Jesus, want to make sure that we are anticipating the return of our master. But we're not waiting in vain. Our master is not dead. He's alive. He's coming. And Thomas said, 
but we don't know the way that you're going. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to God the Father but through me. Listen, for some of you who are here this morning, you have not made that decision to trust Jesus, to give your life to Him, and today He's calling on you to respond. Because the rapture is only for believers. If you don't know the Lord, you will be left. Let's bow together. Father, speak to hearts as you see fit, and we'll give you glory. Nobody looking this morning. If you're here today and you say, Levi, man, that's a decision that I need to make. I need to give my heart to Christ. Let me encourage you right where you are just to pray something like this in your heart as I pray out loud. Just say, Lord, I'm a sinner, and today I need forgiveness of my sin. So I'm turning from my sin today and placing my trust in Jesus. Thank you for sending him to die on the cross for me. Thank you for the resurrected Lord. And today I want to become his follower and live sold out for him. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, if that's the prayer of your heart, listen, the first step of obedience for a new believer is baptism. So what I want to do this morning is encourage you to take that step of faith and say, you know what, I've given my life to Jesus. I want to go public with that. I want to be baptized. Baptism doesn't save you. It's just an opportunity for you to tell others that you've given your heart to Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you've given your life to Christ, in a moment we're going to stand to our feet. We'll begin to sing. I'm going to invite you to come forward. I'll be here in the front, others as well. We want to help you along in your walk with Christ. Set you up an opportunity to be baptized in the days ahead. Or perhaps this morning, uh, God's calling you to join this church body. You're like, this is where I want to plug in. I want to partner with other people in this great mission to make disciples everywhere. So if God's calling you, uh, you be obedient this morning. And Father, we give you our time. Pray that you would work. And ultimately, Lord, help us to live anticipating your soon return. And that's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. While we sing, you come this morning if God's calling you.